May only truth be spoken here and only truth be heard. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So you'll have to forgive me if I've told this story before, but I love it so much that I'm going to tell it lots of times. So buckle up. Um, <laughs> the, um, and, 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 and you might know this story because you've read it. Um, it's about the monk Thomas Merton, about a, a moment, a vision that he had as a young man that changed the course of his life. And it happened on a very ordinary day, which, which he says himself. He was doing some errands um, for, the, for, the for the monastic community in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and you know, it was kind of your average busy day. Um, so you can kind of picture, uh, he was at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, he says. And you can kind of picture, you know, there's, it's your average city, People are running errands, maybe people are bickering on the corner, maybe someone's walking by with their baby in a carriage and there's cars honking at each other to get out of the way. It's just an ordinary day. Everyone's going about their business. There's, there's kind of the good, the bad, the ugly of people in close quarters, conflict, um, the way people are together. And Merton is walking down the street and suddenly he's brought to a screeching halt because he, his heart is filled with love for all these ordinary people running errands and bickering and honking horns and doing stuff, yelling at each other, complaining. And he realizes that these are all and I am too, children of God. And every person I see on this ordinary street corner is infinitely beloved of God. And in his vision, he realizes that every person has a point of light in their heart. And he says, if only we could see this every day, that light that's in every heart, whether it's the person honking their horn or the person being rude to the shopkeeper or the patient shopkeeper or the parent pushing their stroller down the street or the baby in the stroller. If we could see those points of light, then the world would be so bright that there would be, that there would be no darkness. Darkness is not dark to you, O God, says Psalm 139. To you, darkness and light are both alike. And when Merton had this vision, and then just as quickly, it was past, you know, but he never forgot it. And what was one of the things that was so important about seeing, really seeing, and really feeling that every human being is part of the family of God. The good, the bad, the ugly, the sinner and the saint, the annoying ones and the fun ones, the ones who are right and the ones who are wrong. 
said, if we could see that, and there is no program for this seeing, you can't train yourself to see it, he said, it's just a gift that God will give you. He said, there's no program for this seeing, it can only come as a gift, but if we could see it all the time, we would know that the gate of heaven is everywhere. On the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the narthex, everywhere. Where there's a migrant boat sinking into the Mediterranean Sea, where there's a hungry person on the corner, all of them are shining with the light of God. And that's what Jacob said when he laid his head down on that pillow. And when he woke up in his dream, the angels of God were ascending and descending from heaven. And what did he say after he woke up from his dream? The dream where God stood beside him, looking at the angels going up and down. And God said, you will be blessed. You are going to be a blessing. You are going to bear fruit. The promise I made to your father Isaac, the promise I made to your grandfather Abraham, it's for you too. And this is important to remember because Jacob didn't do a whole lot to deserve this promise, but God met him anyway. And God said, this promise is for you. God showed Jacob that the gate of heaven, when Jacob wakes up, he said, God was in this place and I didn't know it. This is the gate of heaven, he said. And what Merton later realized is that the gate of heaven is everywhere. If only we could see. The story Jesus tells today is about weeds and wheat. And it's about that natural instinct we have to say, Okay, if we want to build the kingdom of God, if we want to make this world more like God's dream, then doesn't it make sense to root out all the evil, all the wrong, all the injustice, and then onto the more petty stuff, you know, all the little things about all my little faults and foibles, and then especially the faults and foibles of the person next to me. It would be great if we could weed those out too, right? Isn't that how we produce fruit? Isn't that how we bring the kingdom of God a little bit closer to get rid of the stuff that God clearly doesn't want in the field? In the parable, there are fruiting grains in the field, and then some bad guy comes and puts weeds in there too. And so the people who are in charge of tending to the field day to day, uh, the obvious solution is, um, that we should pull these weeds out before they choke the good stuff, before they take over. But the owner of the field says, this isn't the time. Let it lie. Because in fact, if you start pulling those weeds out now, have you ever planted you know, little tiny seedlings and, and there's little tiny weeds growing alongside them? If you start pulling them out, you 
everything is, all the roots are tangled together. Everything comes out together. And also at the beginning, it can be really hard to tell what's a weed and what's a seed, what's a desirable plant, what's not. And so instead of doing the thing we think we ought to do, which is to weed out what's not good, weed out the evil, weed out what's not needed, um, so that the good can flourish, in this story, Jesus is offering this, this alternative to us, which is take a deep breath and wait and see. I, I don't really want to do that. I would much rather... Um, I would much rather work on getting rid of what's not there. I would much rather improve myself and improve the people around me um, so that we can bring on the good stuff faster. Um, and it's easy to see and easy to joke about when we're talking about like the petty little things that make up most of our life. Um, but it's even harder to bear when we are talking about the injustice we see in the world, when we're talking about what clearly seems evil in the world, when we talk about people that are being hurt in the world, it is not easy to think, let these things, let the good, like, let the beauty and the good grow side by side with the unjust and the wrong. How can that be? So going back to Jacob, maybe as an answer to this question. Our great, 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 great grandfather in the life of faith, in life with God. Um, I, want, I want us to think about Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. If this family chosen by God was a field, which one of them is the good seed? And which are the ones who are obviously behaving terribly and should be plucked out? Is it Jacob, who, you know, uh, tricked his brother out of his birthright by withholding stew when he was hungry? Um, is it Rebecca, the mother, who told her favorite son to dress up as her other son so, he, so that he could trick the father out of the blessing? Is it Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son on the altar? Um, is it Isaac and Rebecca, who followed in Isaac's parents, who followed in Abraham and Sarah's footsteps, and they had this little thing they loved to do that... Genesis tells over and over where they would go to a foreign land and then the husband would say about his wife, this is my sister. And then the king of the land would say, great, she's a beauty. Can I marry her? And he would bring her into his house and then God would start sending plagues and the king would say, is, is something going on that I don't know about? And then it would be revealed, well, actually, she's not my sister, she's my wife. And the king would say, why did you do this? And nobody knows why they would do this. The point is, what, a, what an extraordinary family. What if our ancestors um, are an unending source of 
um, entertainment and, and also grief. But which one deserves to grow? Which of them deserves to be a blessing? Which member or members of this family are the weeds and which are the wheat? And I think that's part of what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. God doesn't bless Abraham or Isaac or Jacob because of how excellent and moral and good they have been because of how much they've deserved a blessing. God blesses them because God said that God would bless them. And this is the same God who not so very many generations earlier was so tired of humanity that God decided God would send a flood to wipe them all away and start over. Because I planted this field of wheat and now growing in it is all this family dysfunction and people pretending their wives are their sister and I, you know, people willing to sacrifice their sons and people tricking one another out of their birthright. But God has chosen this family and made a commitment and God is faithful to humanity now. Not conditionally, but no matter what. And whether I or the person next to me is weed or wheat, and really part of what we learn in this parable is that all of us, if we were a field, if each individual were a field, we would be weeds and wheat with our roots so intertwined that there's no possibility on our own of plucking out what's undesirable and leaving only the good. As individuals and as communities, we are weeds and wheat, and yet somehow God is faithful. Do you know why Jacob is in the desert in the reading today? It's because his brother wants to kill him because he dressed up as his brother. His brother was like a hairy guy. And Jacob put goat skin on his hands and wore his brother's clothes so that he could trick his blind father into blessing him when his father wanted to bless his brother. And then his brother said, I've had it up to here with my twin. I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob ends up running into the wilderness to get away. He is not looking good in this story. And yet, in the middle of all of Jacob's weediness, God meets him there and shows him this vision of heaven and earth touching, which is what we do in the Eucharist, which is what we do at baptism. Every one of our sacraments is about that affirmation of the truth that heaven and earth are touching. And no matter who we are as people, individuals, communities, nations, as a world, God is still meeting us right there. 
on that ordinary street corner or in this ordinary church. Even the person with whom we most disagree. Even the person who is the most in the wrong, even if that's us, has a point of light that is God and God's spirit dwelling within them. There's no guaranteed program to see this. But if we could, we would see that even in the weediest field, the gate of heaven is everywhere. And that there is no growing, living thing, whether weed or wheat, that is not touched by God and to whom God is not still faithful. If we could see, then we would know that heaven and earth are touching. And when God shows us those glimpses, that is where we hope, not because of our perfection, and not because we've been able to root out every evil or injustice, but because God has established a link in Jesus that can't be broken, not over time, not over space, where the angels of God ascend and descend, and where in every time and every place, the gate of heaven is open. Amen. Amen.